I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to the All Things Policy podcast. And in today's episode, we are joined by Smita Chakrabarti, founder at PAR, Prison Aid Action Research, which is a non-partisan research and advocacy organization focused on prison reforms and open prison advocacy. Let's hear from Smita herself on how this initiative came about, the concept of open prisons and why it works, and how it helps us rethink fundamental questions of law, justice, and punishment. And of course, to understand the public policy perspective in the context of public finance and its social consequences. Uh, Smita, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hi, Carl. Uh, thank you for inviting me today for this talk. Yes, it makes a lot of sense uh, having a conversation on open prison right now, especially when we are here and there are a lot of students or people interested in policy work involved in it because we're actually working on changing this policy or influencing policy regarding prisons. That's that's essentially what PAR is doing at the moment. That's interesting. I mean, so you've been working on like uh, prisons for more than a decade. Uh, so before we get to the subject matter, which is the open prison system or the model right, uh, that your organization advocates for, can you share with us how this became a passion project for you? Working on open prison came in much later. But my initial days, uh, I've started working inside prison ever since I was a student. It was a part of my graduation dissertation paper. Because while in my growing up years, like when I was in college, I'm from West Bengal, Calcutta. And at that point, there was a political turmoil happening in West Bengal. And there was a land grab. There was this this problem happening and uh, all the students were a part of that protest. And a lot of my seniors from i'm from presidency college calcutta and it's it's a pretty uh, we were very politically opinionated when we were in college and at that point a lot of my seniors were being harassed by the police were being picked up so i started working on documenting police uh, violence custodial violence was my dissertation topic and when I delved deeper into it, it was my professor who suggested that I should be working on prison and not custodial violence in general because police lockup is uh, is a very small it's a it's a very small area. So uh, it actually happened organically. So because of my research and my dissertation work, and uh, I I had to start visiting prisons, and then I realized that prison. When I was in college, I I actually used to think that my college identity card uh, is like the super gate gateway to any any place I wanted to go because uh, we were actually treated pretty well in Calcutta just because we had that uh, we were a part of a certain institution so yeah so I thought that I'll be invited with open arms in prison and uh, which I was not so I had to find a way to visit prison I I had to go approach the high court uh, the High Court judge, uh, the then sitting uh, acting Chief Justice of West Bengal, was extremely supportive. He allowed me permission to visit prison, and which also gave additional. It, there was a sense of importance, like uh, like I was twenty one years old and I was visiting prison. I had permission from the High Court, so you feel that you're doing something 
extremely important just by visiting prison. And uh, then the judge also had told me that, you know, uh, if you get any complaints, if you want anything, any help from the from the court, just, just let me know. So that gave me a sense of authority as well that when when I was visiting prison, my idea, my understanding was that most of them would be political prisoners, but they were not. My idea was prisoners, like we see in movies, that they'll be gangsters and extremely brutal, vicious looking people. It wasn't like that. My first uh, interaction with a group of prisoners, there was a man who was 85 years old and he was wearing specs, uh, spectacles, which was much smaller in size compared to his face. Maybe he was wearing the spectacle of a, of a, of a child, like maybe a five year, six year old child. He was tying the specs with a piece of thread and obviously the power did not did not match his requirement. So he came saying that, you know, if I can speak to the high court and get, get him specs. And I didn't know how to respond to him because he was physically, uh, he couldn't stand. He, he, he was physically infirm and he was 85 years old. He was undergoing life sentence. He didn't pose any threat to the society. He didn't match any of my understanding or imagination of how a prisoner should look. And I think that moment, that, that you know, that conversation that I had with him, I think changed my entire perspective on prison. So I definitely, I took a letter from him. I went back to the high court. And just, can you imagine like to get specs for one inmate, one has to like take a letter to the high court and the acting chief justice then says that he must be given specs. So it, it felt very disturbing. And uh, after that, I continuously visited prison and prisoners would write to me. If I didn't visit prison, they would want ask after me. Like, so I felt like there was this responsibility that I had to meet people who didn't have visitors. So it, it was a very emotional attachment that I had with them. And my reputation with the among the high court judges also grew because there were times when uh, I was invited by the West Bengal Human Rights Commission to investigate custodial death. So yes, and so so then during my master's, my post-graduation also, this was my topic, death station topic. When I joined my PhD, it was uh, on same topic. So I had academically got uh, invested in it. Right. And then uh, my biggest break happened when the Chief Justice of Bihar asked me, Patna High Court, they, he asked me to inspect the prisons of the state of Bihar. So I went to Bihar at that point. I used to teach in a college. I was teaching in Loreto College. Uh, it was a part, I, and I was doing my PhD at the same time. And I thought that I'll go to Bihar and within a week or two weeks, I'll come back after visiting a couple of prisons. But on the first week when I submitted my initial report to Justice Sinha, BN Sinha, he, he, he said that, you know, I mean, there are 58 prisons and I think you should invest, like inspect all the 58 prisons of the state of Bihar. And uh, I want to do this. And <laughs> I, so I thought it will take me years to finish this work. and But nonetheless, I mean, I chose to do that because it was something I really wanted to do. At that point, I had to quit my job. I had to, eventually, I had to quit my PhD also. And I was just visiting prisons every day. Now, that was a turning point in my life because it was a risk that I took at that point, like giving up a career of academics, having a nice job and giving up a lecturership at a prestigious college. but. Uh, it turned out very well because the Supreme Court of India took cognizance of that report, the Bihar Prison Report, which was published by the Bihar High Court. Mm -hmm. So 
the court made it mandatory for all states to conduct Bihar-like prison inspections. Yeah. Because it was historically the first time a social researcher uh, was in inspecting prisons and reporting directly to a high court uh, judge. And uh, so it was like a, I was a third party, so I had no, I was not a stakeholder. So it was a absolutely independent report. So yes, it, it worked out very well. And then immediately I was getting calls from multiple high courts of the country. And uh, at that point, I was also invited by the Parliamentary Standing Committee Department of Law and Justice. So they were actually discussing uh, legal aid in prison, and I was invited. And I had an invitation from Rajasthan. So since Rajasthan is like closer to Delhi, I just took a bus from Delhi and came to Rajasthan, thinking that like I'll just speak to the High Court judge, spend around two three days, and go back to Calcutta. So that was 2016, and <laughs> yeah, I'm still staying in Rajasthan. <laughs> yeah, I have a house over here right now. Yeah, so, no, I yeah. think the, the Rajasthan story is uh, is where you know par uh, you know the, the idea of par yes. came about. Yes. So I think it'll be interesting for us to just maybe delve into the actual work that goes into prison reforms and how you've been advocating, yes. uh, you know, for this. So you know, in, in terms of you know some numbers that I have in front of me, so we know that less than one percent are habitual offenders. Yes. This is according to the twenty nineteen uh, statistics, right, uh, at the national yes. level. But what is disturbing also is that about 50% of them are, in fact, one-time or accidental offenders, right? So how does the current prison system landscape in India contribute to this problem? See, uh, presently, the, the prisons, if you see, like there are some more than 75%, 76% actually, according to the latest NCRB report, are under trial prisoners, which means we are not even sure whether these people have perpetrated any offense or not. And uh, it's actually very difficult because an undertrial prisoner is mostly an individual who comes from a marginalized background. They are in prison because they couldn't afford a lawyer during their first court production. Uh, so so I'll, I'll just explain it to simplify it. Say, if I get arrested today, by the time I'm taken to the police station, my lawyer will come to my rescue. You see? So that is the first interaction with the law. So what happens is then you're taken to, the police is supposed to produce the individual within first 24 hours of arrest. Now, the individual usually doesn't have access to a lawyer during this stage of uh, production. This is the first stage. And then they get into prison, their family don't know about it. So it starts off like that. So there's an unnecessary arrest. There's an unnecessary denial of bail. There is a blanket uh, there's paper production in most of the cases. Uh, I mean, during the first initial after arrest, the there are certain protocols that the court is supposed to maintain. Like the an accused has to be medically examined, uh, accused has to be provided a legal aid, an accused has to be like uh, the the judge in the court needs to speak to the accused, asking about his welfare, whether he's aware of his rights. Now all these things doesn't happen in the court because the courts are extremely overburdened. So the accused is, if if he doesn't have a lawyer coming to the police station or to the court, then he just mechanically goes to the court, mechanically stands inside a courtroom without any interaction with the judge, and mechanically all the bails are rejected because there is no time for hearing of the bail. Sure. So you can't even accuse, like, uh, blame the judge over here. It's an ex The criminal justice system is an extremely resource stretched it's that overburdened system so then the man just mechanically goes inside prison and the the trial gets longer and longer because 
uh, it, there's a certain period which is required before a trial starts. And now there are necessary court productions which happen every 15 days when the individual is in prison. Now, as I said, like 75% of prisoners, 70 to 75% of prisoners are under trial prisoners. When the person is in prison, when a prisoner can't just walk up to the court, he needs to be escorted by a police guard in a police van taken from the prison and produced in the court. Now, the number of police vans and police guards are not equivalent to the number. I mean, the number of prisoners far exceed the number of availability of police guards and police vans. So what happens is court productions don't happen. So their trial is delayed. So in our one of our studies, we saw that less than 50% prisoners, like one in two prisoners, don't get the opportunity of going to court. So that is a complete denial of fair trial, right? So I am not present in court in my trial. I can't defend myself in court. I don't have an access to lawyer. I can't, I'm not going to court. I, I'm not understanding what is happening in my case. So that leads to conviction. And uh, it's it's just a system which just overcrowds, leads to more and more burden on resources, leads yeah. to further overcrowding. And there's it's a regressive system. It's a dark cycle. There's no way of breaking out of it. So the only way of breaking out of it is either you have an influential lawyer, or you have the sufficient means and resources to get your own legal defense. Mm. That is a solution. The government provides legal aid lawyer, but then the quality of lawyering is something that we would need to question. So yes, yes so which means that if you're if you're not affluent enough, I mean it it, it's, it works that way. So if you're from a poor marginalized background, the possibility is that you'll be arrested time and again and you'll be convicted you'll end up being convicted in the criminal justice system yeah so it's it's so, not a fair system at all oh no i think the social biases like is a very important part of this conversation right and and i think i happened to come across this theory called the cycle of change you know based on the groundwork that you have done and your, your observation yeah. from visiting these prisons and with this we take a short break Meanwhile, you enjoyed this episode, we are accepting applications for our graduate public policy programs. The upcoming cohort will begin in September. So if you want to learn about the nuances of defense and diplomacy, do check our defense and foreign affairs program. And if you want to decode the mystery of policy and economy, we've got the advanced public policy for you. For all further information, you can visit our website, takshishla.org.in. So, uh, so let's talk about this in the context of the open prison system, for instance, right? Yes. Okay. So how does this yeah. theory... How do you put this into practice when you talk about open prison system? See, we were actually, since it is a resource intensive system and uh, we have sufficient uh, experience of prison in inspections, like we have uh, inspected prisons of Rajasthan, we have inspected prisons of Bihar, we have inspected prisons of West Bengal. So uh, these are like large states and more or less the prison problems are the same. Like prisons, there are, there's overcrowding, the percentage of under trials are, are very high, there is lack of police guard, police security. Prisons are understaffed, who are overburdened. So, I mean, these are long-standing bottlenecks in the prison system. And it can't be, you know, dealt with. But uh, open prison comes in as a solution to the existing prison system. Now, say, if you change the narrative a little bit, so from if you change the focus. So, if you see the number of convicted prisoners, I'm telling, like, I just explained who are these convicted prisoners. They are majorly people who couldn't, who didn't have a fair trial. 
yeah. who can't afford a flat. Let's let's say that. And uh, these these people are usually people who have perpetrated accidental offense. If at all they have perpetrated an offense, it is an accidental offense, or there was no criminal conspiracy involved in yeah. this offense. So there was a lapse of judgment. It was an accidental offense, which might lead to life sentences or long long sentences. Now. Their majority of convicted prisoners, the composition is either they are convicted for murder or they're convicted under sections of the NDPS Act. Mm. Now, NDPS Act itself, it deals with drugs, right? So it's it it itself is an extremely flawed law over there because you're actually convicting people who have who were caught with like small quantities mm. or who are, who are not a part of the larger drug trafficking racket who don't even know how this racket runs but they are people who are locally available like they might be college kids they might be you know youngsters or people who live on the streets people who are peddling drugs who are against uh, who have access to small quantities of drugs but they get arrested time and again so they become you know like repeat offenders and then they end up in prison serving long sentences then there are people who are convicted for murder, but these murders were actually, which has amounted from, say, uh, land-related fights, and uh, where both people were, like both parties were injured. So if somebody died, succumbed to the injuries in in a hospital, the person who is alive becomes a murderer and has a sentence, has a life sentence. So usually what I'm trying to say is like these are people who get convicted. So the, the demography of convicted prisoners are people, if you see like 81% of them are people who have no previous criminal antecedent. So they have no crime history. They pose no threat to the society and it might be seen as a one-time offense because the by the very nature of the offense or how the incident of crime is, then it's, it's unlikely that the individual is going to perpetrate a similar offense in the future. So if one evaluates these cases and sends, so nearly 50% of prisoners are people who have, who, who are not a part of an organized crime or a very heinous, gruesome offense. They are not part of those kind of offenses, but they're now, nonetheless, they are convicted. Actually mm. shift them to an open prison because the chances are that they are not. So that is why the rate of recidivism, so that means reoffending, staying in an open prison is very low. So if you shift these people to an open prison, the cost of prison management, it actually reduces the burden on the prison system. Mm. So that way, it so the more the number of inmates you're shifting to open prison, the lesser your expenditure in the closed prison. So it's, mm. it's inversely proportionate that way. And in reality, the government of any, any state, they spend around 10,000, 7,000 to 10,000 rupees Per month, per mm. prisoner, okay, in an in a closed prison, whereas in an open prison, and this ten thousand rupees is not inclusive of the uh, infrastructure cost. We didn't calculate that. Sure, but of course, if you if you put the maintenance cost of the building and electricity, then it'll be like per if we divide it, it'll be like what twenty thousand rupees mm. per prisoner per month. Mm. I mean, I don't know. There are many Indian families who can actually afford that kind of money yeah. to their own family member, you see. Mm. But that's what the state spends to mm. maintain a closed prison. And the outcome is extremely negative. And uh, yeah, so, but if you send the inmate to an open prison where you're providing a basic quarter, just living, uh, a living 
an open prison means an area which is demarcated as an open prison it can be a clay hut it can be a tenement it can be a small 12 feet by 10 feet uh, room which is allotted as mm-hmm. a prisoner quarter and the prisoner has to like has to stay with their families in these quarters they have to provide for their own electricity bill they will have to provide like they'll have to pay for water tax electricity and maintenance of that prison is the responsibility of the prisoner so that way what happens is cost per prisoner per month in an open prison is around 500 rupees okay. so the government spends 500 rupees when a prisoner is there in an open prison and the government spends around 10000 rupees mm. by conservative estimates when the prisoner is staying in a closed prison so you know i mean you see the difference right so the more the number of people are shifted to an open prison the lesser the burden on the existing traditional prison system which leads to better management of mm. a closed prison so that's why we are talking we, we are calling it a cycle of change yeah. because then year on year your expense on maintaining the closed prison goes down you see for any budget of any institution year on year the budget goes up but here we are saying since the more and more prisoners you are sending in an open prison mm. the lesser your budget so it's reducing your budget on a year on a yearly basis on your basis yeah which actually leads inversely leads to better management of prison system yeah again in an open prison the the prisoner the prison guard and prisoner ratio is 1 is to 80 so you need one prison guard mm-hmm. for 80 prisoners whereas in a closed prison the the ideal ratio is 1 is to 6 so one one guard for six prisoners so you see i mean the open prison system is also less human resource intensive mm. you don't even need much because it's a, it's a low security prison right it's because yeah. it's a trust based model that you have over there mm. and uh, it's been fantastic and th- that's exactly what happened like when i came to rajasthan i was thinking of inspecting the prisons that's what the, the rajasthan high court had invited me for mm. but then the dg prison at that time was mr ajit singh he said you know i would want you to visit a prison and there are prisoners who we have to evict prisoners and i don't want to do that probably we'll have to do a lathi charge i really don't want to do that if we can convince them to a peacefully vacate the prison it will be nice and i was like what i mean i just came from bihar i spoke to 30000 prisoners on record can't mm. imagine anybody any prisoners saying that they want to prolong their stay in the prison yeah, yeah. so i was like so i really want to visit this prison seems very odd then he was like yeah yeah but this is a problem we have mm. so when i went to the prison it was surprising because the superintendent took me to this like a village and i was standing over there i was thinking that the superintendent will take me to the prison eventually i was stood standing over there having chai and something was written in hindi i can't read hindi so i didn't understand that was already so then i told the superintendent sir you know i understand you uh, you know chai you know, offering me tea and all that but when do we visit the prison and speak to the prisoners because i'm getting late i have to go back and also report to the court you know kaam hai and the guy said so yahi hai prison you are in the prison so this is the and i was like this doesn't look like a prison at all so it was my first experience of an open prison was it's a village it's a prison without bars locks there were no prison guards there were there were no big uh, you know gates yeah. no tall walls it was nothing and i was like how can this be a prison at all mm. and then the prisoners they came with their families and they were saying you know i have my daughter's board exams are there so can you extend my stay by 6 months i really can't shift right now because her exams will get affected right. and somebody said you know i'm working 
in so and so place and if i shift right now go back to my village i will lose my job i will not get a better and i was like oh my god i mean this is really not happening this was so unreal and then i realized so i came back and i told the high court chief justice that sir can i study the open prisons in rajasthan mm. and he was like yeah open prison kya hai and i was like yeah i mean this is something that's why i want to study because i haven't come across this ever and he was like yeah wahan pe so there are no guards there nothing and is in the like, largest no, uh, open prison in sanganer rajasthan Yes, yes, is, yes. This is in the yes. world, uh, if I'm, if I'm not. Yes, wrong. exactly. So, so when then when I studied, I realized that this is the largest open prison, not only in India. It's the largest open prison in the world. It actually throws a challenge to, uh, like, when we studied uh, about prison, we we thought that Scandinavian prison models, like the Norwegian prisons, they have fantastic open prisons. But you know, it's like they keep twenty prisoners. There's a gym. There is a library. here in sangane there are 200 prisoners and it's a community living and uh, there is a school inside the prison there is a nanganwadi inside the prison the, there is a children's school inside prison where people from the locality send their children to these schools and this school because uh, it's a government school and it was ideally meant for prisoner children but like so at least i think there are around 45 students in that school and like there are seven children Mm. which belong to prisoner families i mean who belong to prisoner families but majority of them come from outside even the school teacher said like you know initially when i used to come to the school i used to feel scared like am i entering a prison to teach and then now i feel this is the best place to come because and the the prisoners staying in the open prison they get work in the locality because people tend to trust them more like there are prisoners who work as security guards in the in the nearby area and uh, they are you know you, you must understand that these are the prisoners who are convicted for murder yeah and they work as security guards in the local area and when you ask the security agency or the local housings that you know why are you using prisoners as your security guards and they say you know these are these are people they just to stay here they have a i card and they come from prison so you know ye bhag ke kahan jayenge they are the safest and best people who we can use and then there are prisoners they have their own uh, own dabas like restaurants and some of them have suvs so i mean different categories of prisoners uh, stay in sanger it's like it's an open community yeah yeah yes yeah, so, i mean this is a humane alternative it's a cost effective alternative rate of recidivism is negligible over there hmm. because people don't run away from an open prison right? because we are using liberty as an incentive in an open prison like liberty is the incentive in an open prison equality yeah. or dignity is an incentive in an open prison these are extremely you you, you can't evaluate these yeah, these are I mean, tangible achievements right yeah i mean in terms of uh, you know maybe giving this uh, a name uh, if it's a netflix series it would be prison stay instead of a prison break uh, in many ways <laughs> yeah that's yeah. Uh, that's interesting uh, smitha so i just wanted to now um, maybe one final uh, question on this and that's Uh, really on how you've very art you've articulated how the prisoners uh, experience of being in a closed prison uh, has you know a lot of social stigma that is attached to it so how do you think as like you know policy professionals and you know just generally as citizens how do we sensitize ourselves to this concept of open prison systems and you know help us redefine you know questions of law punishment justice so what is the advocacy that are is currently engaged in that help citizens and policy professionals that uh, kind of sensitized to this problem see the first thing is uh, like we uh, it's, it's a it's an uphill task for us because 
a prison uh, like you see it's represented in movies and netflix and all of that are like extremely gruesome very well planned serial killers that we are dealing with but in reality the, the prisoners are extremely extremely simple down to earth people mm. and that needs to be understood so we have this uh, social media platform it's called open prison voices on instagram where prisoner come and tell their own stories in the first person and we also discuss like we put off nuggets of information on factual policy information like budget uh, or number of under trial prisoners or first time offenders so we so the strategy that par has taken up is that we have a social media platform we are also creating animation movies to simplify the concept of uh, because criminal law is a very complex area of work and here we are talking about open prisons which a lot of people just shudder to the idea of an open prison because their understanding of a prisoner is very low so mm. our first attempt is to build a body of research on prison because which is not there if you want to find out about more and more prisons uh, more information on prison you not find that so we are creating that extremely detailed archive mm. and information on prison but uh, on on the on the front end we are also trying to humanize the prisoner where we bring out interviews or say you know instagram reels of prisoners they are working or you know they staying with their families it's it's a very nice uh, kind of a thing and we would want people to see you see crime and the entire like i would say the entire criminal justice system actually crime is an incident right and the criminal justice so the police is investigating an incident when the case goes to the court the court is actually examining an incident so an open prison is actually removing an individual from that incident right so you're you're focusing our focus is on the individual not the incident because one individual can't be determined by one say stray incident in his or her life mm-hmm. now that's a way of thinking so if you think that the entire court the, the criminal trial the prosecution the defense the, the police everybody is working on that crime on which is an incident mm-hmm. and we are trying to change the focus of this is an individual and removing the individual from that incident so it's a better way of uh, dealing with the the entire gravity of the problem of prison and how it is seen and i really believe that the cross prison system it's a redundant system and it's not sustainable at all mm. especially after the pandemic it's proven that this is a system which cannot Absolutely. survive at all yeah. so we should look for more sustainable alternatives and deal with crime from a different perspective you see so Yeah. Yes, I think right now like a lot of changes in law for some of the organizations and some some one organization working on drafting law and it's they are fantastic with their work. So like yeah, redefining the laws are very important and like redefining the prison system and the policing system is very very important. That's the click like, should be a prime focus on policy. Yeah. No, I think uh, I would uh, in fact recommend our listeners to check out Par and the very interesting work that they do in this space. So with that uh, Smita I'd like to thank you for joining us on the podcast and uh, we hope to have you soon in another one thanks for your time Yeah thank you so much thank you bye bye guys If you liked our show don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network you can tune into them on the IVM podcast app ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, 
Check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashila.inst or our website takshashila.org.in.